0: Aloha and welcome to UHA's Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Rachel Picaro from Hi Now. Connecting the Dots starts now. Today, we're connecting the dots on diabetes prevention with the National Kidney Foundation with Dawn Pasikala. Dawn Pasikala, registered nurse and director of programs at the National Kidney Foundation of Hawaii, has over a decade of clinical experience in long-term care, mental health, and hospice. In her current role, Dawn develops education programs specific to chronic kidney disease, diabetes, and nutrition. Don supports the National Kidney Foundation of Hawaii's program advertising and planning schedule for all virtual programs. She is passionate about educating others on chronic diseases and engaging communities to progress lifestyle and behavioral challenges for better health. Now, Don, what is pre diabetes? Yeah, so
1: let's set the foundation, right, before we get into the actual program. Um, Prediabetes means that you have a higher than normal uh, blood sugar level. It's not quite high enough to be considered type 2 diabetes, not just yet. Um, But without, you know, lifestyle changes, um, you know, adults and children with prediabetes are at high risk to develop type two diabetes. So those lifestyle changes, we're looking at those modifiable risk factors, um, such as diet, uh, you know, any type of nutrition, physical activity, um, you know, smoking, you know, those are things modifiable, meaning we can we can do something to change um, and improve our health. So that's in a nutshell, what pre diabetes looks like.
0: Gotcha. Now, what is diabetes in general and how does it affect your body?
1: Yeah. So um, this is kind of going to be a little bit longer answer than the pre-diabetes because it is a little bit more complicated. So diabetes is a group of conditions where the body cannot produce or um, doesn't produce enough of what we call insulin which is a hormone in our body, and our body um, uh, cannot utilize um, uh, our glucose or sugar effectively. Um, when you know any of these things happen, you know, the body is unable to get sugar from the blood into the cells, because it's the insulin hormone that allows the sugar into the, sh- the cells so that our bodies can use it up as energy. And if that doesn't happen, it basically accumulates in our blood, thus, you know, um, having increased high blood sugar. Um, a lack of insulin or resistance to is- insulin causes that buildup of uh, sugar and can lead to health problems. So diabetes is really a chronic or long-term a condition that affects how your body turns food into energy. And so, you know, in our body, um, you know, it breaks down most of our food that we eat, you know, anything that we drink, um, and that includes sugar and glucose, and it actually releases it into our bloodstream. And when your blood sugar increases, it actually signals the pancreas which is the maker of insulin, that hormone. And insulin actually acts like that key, like I mentioned earlier, to allow the glucose into our cells so that we can use it up as energy. Think of it like starting a car, right? We have a gas gauge, um, but unless we turn that key, which is the insulin in our body, it really doesn't go anywhere, right? Nothing happens. So with the turn of the key, it allows the gas to run through the car and we can move, right? So if you think of that car analogy, it might um, help our listeners to better visualize and understand how um, glucose and insulin works inside of our body. When there isn't enough insulin um, or the cells stop responding to insulin. Um, Again, too much, too much blood sugar stays in the bloodstream. And over time this causes serious problems. So if that continues for a period of time, you're looking at possible heart disease, which is actually the number one killer of diabetes, Uh, vision loss, also kidney damage, kidney disease. Um, Unfortunately, there is no cure for diabetes. Um, But again, looking at those modifiable risk factors like weight, uh, nutrition, and also physical activity can really help.
0: Awesome. Now, um, I, I love that um little analogy that you had with the turning on the ignition, starting up the car and everything is wheels are turning. You know, that's a, a great way to put things. And it, it made me really think twice about what I'm putting into my body and how my body's really working. Um I wanted to now ask, what is the main differences between pre-diabetes and diabetes? I know you touched upon it just a little earlier um, on the pre-diabetes, but those main differences, could you um, elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. So the main difference is what you're really looking at between pre-diabetes and diabetes is those blood sugar levels. That's really the most definitive indication of whether you are falling within the pre-diabetes realm or the diabetes realm. Um, but diabetes can be diagnosed, um, again, by monitoring those blood sugar levels. Um, but in the case of pre-diabetes, sometimes you know while your blood sugar levels may be high sometimes um, you know again, they're not quite high enough to be diagnosed as type 2 diabetes, which is still a good thing because we can still make those lifestyle changes to either slow that progression um, so that you don't reach that type 2 level um, and just get yourself healthier. So really the main difference is in those um, blood sugar, numbers, those levels.
0: Awesome. And then now let's bring it into the Hawaii numbers. How many people in Hawaii uh, have diabetes?
1: Yes, that's a great question. So it's estimated that approximately 72,000 to 100,000 people currently have diabetes in Hawaii. That's a pretty large number. Um, Of that number, um, you know, uh, not the diagnosed number that I just gave you, but 25 about approximately 25,000 or more actually remain undiagnosed. Because again, you know, people might not recognize um, or might not even have early symptoms of prediabetes or what that looks like, what those numbers even mean, you know, so they're not um, doing any type of follow-up or you know, inquiring about any type of education and so forth. So, you know, hopefully we can reach those people before, you know, they get to that point where there's no turning back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in Hawaii, we have a really unique population, right? We have a mix of cultures. And um, unfortunately, that works against, <laughs> you know, um you know, our, our numbers in people having diabetes, um, it actually increases with certain ethnic groups, such as uh, native Hawaiians, uh, Filipinos, you know, Japanese. um, And, um, you know, we tend to have higher um, diabetes rates uh, compared to Caucasian. Um, So, you know, basically the prevalence rates of diabetes um, are similar across all the Hawaii uh, counties. So, gotcha, are, I, mm-hmm.
0: and then I was wondering about the different types of diabetes. I know there's different types. So if you could run me through um, that, and then on top of that, um, the differences between the, the types of diabetes. Right. So there's three different types
1: of diabetes that people are probably most familiar with. You have your type one diabetes type two, and then you have what you call gestational diabetes. So with type one diabetes, um, it really is an autoimmune condition, which means that your immune system is uh, kind of mistakes, uh, mistakenly attracts and um, destroys what we call beta cells in your pancreas. And remember, As I mentioned earlier, the pancreas is what produces that insulin hormone, which we need to use up the uh, glucose. Um, And then the damage becomes permanent. So the pancreas sometimes doesn't even produce any insulin with the type 2, type 1 diabetes, excuse me. Um, And, you know, researchers are still kind of unclear of you know what prompts the body to attack those beta cells to discontinue the um, insulin production in the pancreas, but you know constant research is ongoing. Um, but there may be a genetic um, or environmental reason that that might happen. I we're just not certain at this point. Um, but again, those lifestyle factors uh, that I mentioned. Definitely plays some type of role in the development of type 1 diabetes as well. Now, with type 2 diabetes, um, it usually starts out as insulin resistance, meaning the body may be producing some, not quite enough. And for some reason, you know, it's just it's not uh, um you know utilizing it as it should. Um So, you know, it's not uh, using up insulin efficiently Um, and it causes the pancreas to produce, you know, more insulin um, and then it can't keep up. And so you're getting this increase in uh, blood sugar levels in your bloodstream, um, you know, and nowhere to go. Right. Um, It's trying to use up some, but it can't use it all. Um, And then a person will experience a decrease in insulin production as well. Um, Again, that causes high blood sugar. So um, the exact cause of type 2 is really unknown at this point, Um, but some of the contributing factors may be genetics, so family history, um, a more sedentary lifestyle, meaning maybe you're not, you know, uh, physically active, you know, you kind of... um, uh, don't move around um, as much, um, increased weight or obesity is also a contributing factor. Okay. And again, I mentioned earlier with the type one, also in type two, there may be some environmental factors that may contribute to that as well. The third type is gestational diabetes. And this is caused by insulin horm- blocking hormones. That are produced only during pregnancy. Um, so, you know, you'll only see gestational diabetes um, in a pregnant woman. Um, and this type of diabetes only happens again during pregnancy. And it's often seen with people with pre existing prediabetes or a family history of diabetes. So, about 50% of people diagnosed with gestational diabetes go on to develop type 2. And people may be wondering, well, what happens after the pregnancy? Well, most times the uh, gestational diabetes uh, basically goes away, um, but in some cases it may continue. Say the mother was already, you know, diabetic coming into the pregnancy. You know, of course, she's still going to be diabetic. Um, you know, after she delivers, um, but if she wasn't prior to that most times it kind of just goes away. Um, But being that she had gestational diabetes during the pregnancy, it does put her at greater risk after that. And so it's probably best to just monitor your blood sugar, even after um, the pregnancy is over. So
0: Gotcha. And now, um, we you kind of mentioned earlier that um, a lot of people in Hawaii don't even know that they may have diabetes. Um, is there any screenings or anything that they can do uh, for those who may suspect that they have pre-diabetes or diabetes?
1: Yeah, that's a, another great question. So Um, The American Diabetes Association actually recommends that diabetes screening for most adults begin at age 45. Um, And they also advise that diabetes screening before age 45, if you are overweight and have maybe additional risk factors um, Mm -hmm. for type 2 and also for type 1. Um, And if you've had gestational diabetes, your healthcare provider will likely check your blood sugar levels at least, you know, once every three years. Um, There are several blood tests um, that also are routinely done um, for prediabetes um, as well as diabetes. And I'll go over that list of testing as well. So glycocated hemoglobin otherwise known as a one C I think most people are familiar with a one C and seeing it on a lab report. Um, that's a test that is done to help diagnose. Um, and it's really an indication of a person's blood sugar level over the period of two to three months. Um, and in general, um, you know, anything below a 5.7 percent A1C is normal. Um, anything between between that seven uh 5.7 to 6.4 um, is usually diagnosed as pre diabetic, and anything higher than a 6.5 percent A1C um, on two separate tests. So it's not like you take it one time. And, oh, you're diagnosed. It's kind of over a period of time and, you know, according to what your provider um, is recommending, um, but usually not on the first shot. Um, usually they like to see um, two or more to give, a you know, um, a diagnosis of diabetes. So anything over 6.5 would be considered diabetic. Um, there are certain conditions, though, that can make the A1C inaccurate. One could be if you're pregnant um, or um, you have some uncommon form of um, hemoglobin or, or blood um, condition as well. Another type of test used to diagnose is a fasting blood uh, sugar test. And this is taken after you have fasted for at least eight hours or an overnight fast and um, Usually the blood sugar levels are expressed in milligrams uh, per deciliter. And if you are less than 100 milligrams per deciliter, that's normal. This is fasting now. Um, between 100 and 125 um, is pre-diabetic. Anything 126 and over um, is considered di- diabetic. Um, and that's after two times of testing a fasting blood sugar. Okay. Um, Another type of testing, usually during um, pregnancy, it's called an oral glucose tolerance test. And I know the moms out there who have been pregnant probably remember this test because usually every pregnant woman will will go through this just to test to see if she has gestational diabetes. Um, And it's very common Um, So what happens is they do the fasting overnight, um, and they have to drink the sugary drink. It's really sweet. I remember it having having to do it three times because I have three kids of my own. Um, Not super fun, but you know, necessary. And um, over the next two hours, so you drink the the liquid over two hours, you kind of hang around in the clinic, and they're testing your blood sugar periodically within that two hour. period. And um, in general, you know, if, if the blood sugar levels are less than 140, then that's normal, you know, anything 140 between to 199 is uh, pre-diabetic, and then 200 or higher is normally diabetic. So, um, you know, your provider will typically do this um, if you are pregnant or if otherwise indicated for you know whatever reason he deems that it should be done. So those are the normal kind of procedural um, testing that happens when um, you diagnose for prediabetes or diabetes.
0: Uh, what is the National Diabetes Prevention Program? Yeah, so the National Diabetes
1: Prevention Program or Um, you might hear it called DPP, we, we, you know, abbreviate it for short, um, is a CDC developed program. And it is, they work, CDC works along a number of partners around the country, um, both public and private um, organizations. Um, You know, the goal is to work to prevent type two diabetes. That's the whole mission of the National uh, Diabetes Program. So NKFH actually started um, our National Diabetes Program, I wanna say about eight years ago. And um, in order to deliver the program, we had to have staff members trained um, as life coaches, to deliver the curriculum. There is a standardized curriculum that CDC sets forth. Um, by the way, it is an evidence-based program as well. And um, you know the connection, you might be thinking, well, why is the National Kidney Foundation doing a diabetes prevention program? Well, it's because diabetes is the leading cause of kidney disease. And um, so it made sense to take on the program so that we can help slow the progression of not only diabetes, but kidney disease as well. So um, it's been really great for us. So at NKFH, you know, we, our goal is to work to make it easier for people with pre prediabetes or at risk for type two, um, to participate in this evidence-based program. Um, that's affordable, high quality, you know, lifestyle um, coaches who deliver, you know, curriculum on lifestyle changes um, to reduce the risk of type two diabetes and really improve your overall health. The key part of the National uh, Diabetes Program is the lifestyle change um, to prevent or delay type two diabetes. So, um, you know, there's hundreds of lifestyle change programs nation- nationwide to help teach participants to make lasting lifestyle changes, you know, eating healthier, you know, physical activity, improving coping skills, and so forth. And this is what uh, DPP encompasses. Um, it is a high-quality program, again, developed by um, CDC and um adheres to really strict standards. So there's a strict curriculum that our coaches follow. Um, It's a year long program. So it is a commitment. Some people are like, Oh, a year, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. But let me just say the first four months you meet weekly, one hour a week, just one hour. And then after that, the next three months, it's like tapered off. It's like every other week for an hour. And then again, the last three months of the program, it's, um, uh, monthly. So it does taper off because the other goal of DPP is to help participants self-manage themselves. That's the whole idea is that they can take the tools that we're teaching them and bring it into their home and feel confident about managing their diet, you know, um, blood sugar levels, you know, activity, diet, and so forth. So we really break it down and talk about all the things, um, the groups right now, since COVID, we went virtual, obviously, um, hopefully in 2023, we can start doing some hybrid and get back into in-person. Um, but as far as we've been on virtual the last two years, our group sizes range from like 10 to 15 people on a Zoom meeting. Um, And one of the really exciting things about a DPP cohort is the support that you end up getting from fellow group members, you know. At first, everybody is a little um, anxious, I think, you know. Normally, nobody knows anybody else, you know. So you're in a... in on a screen in front of strangers basically. But slowly over the weeks um, and months, they really um, are able to share experiences, you know, connect with other group members and it becomes really supportive. They end up supporting each other. I've had groups that, you know, plan things outside of class to do together, you know, because they've connected. And um, so that's also a huge plus with the diabetes uh, prevention program. Um, Along with that, um, CDC does require um, each organization that delivers this program to collect data. So weekly or however often they're meeting monthly or um, um, every other week, we do collect weight uh, physical activity minutes and um, CDC gathers that data and um, evaluates it and just make sure that, you know, the program is doing what it was set out to do, which is reduce, you know, um, uh, help to reduce and increase uh, physical activity uh, with people around the nation, And um, also reduce weight. So they found that between those two, those are like, probably the two main factors that people struggle with. Um, And when they really grasp and learn um, about how they can, you know, adjust it to make it work for them, um, it really does become a really successful um, uh, cohort or group and program overall
0: awesome well that sounds like a fantastic program I mean to sum that up uh you can expect as a participant uh to benefit from lifestyle behavioral changes with uh nutrition physical activity and and setting goals that's always important now why should UHA members participate in this program
1: yeah so I would totally encourage all you UHA members out there to participate um it's a covered benefit. By UHA, we've partnered with them for a number of years, so we've had some UHA members come through our program already. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier, DPP is a supportive and informative program. Um, you know, aimed at uh, you know uh, decreasing that risk for developing type two. Um, now, when I say qualify. There are certain qualifications that you need to meet in order to participate in DPP. So to become eligible, you must be 18 years old, um, be overweight. So the way you can measure that is through your BMI, your body mass index. It needs to be equal to or greater than 25. If you're Asian American, though, it's a little lower, greater or Uh, equal or greater uh, to 23, so 25 or 23. Um, You must have no, you know, previous diagnoses of type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Um, And you need to have a blood test result um, in that pre-diabetes range within the last year. So when we talked about A1C earlier, you need to be in that range of 5.7 to 6.4. That's the pre-diabetic range, or a fasting uh, blood sugar level between 100 and 125. Another um, eligibility requirement is um, you, maybe you were previously diagnosed with gestational diabetes uh, during a pregnancy. So, um, so yes, there are requirements and eligibility requirements to participate. So, if you feel like you fall in you know, that range. Um, Give us a call, you know, call your UHA, you know, representative and they can connect you with us.
0: Where can people learn more about pre-diabetes and diabetes? Okay, so you can learn more about pre-diabetes and diabetes
1: from the American Diabetes Association website, um, the National Kidney Foundation of Hawaii website, which is www.kidneyhigh.org or also the Center for Disease Control, which is the CDC website as well.
0: Awesome. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining me today. Mahalo. All right. Well, that was Don Pasticala for helping us connect the dots on diabetes prevention with the National Kidney Foundation. Connecting the Dots is a UHA sponsored podcast. UHA was founded by physicians, and the caring that physicians have for people really powers our company. We help businesses create healthier workplaces. We make accessing care simple for our members, and we strongly support our community. This year, UHA celebrates 25 years of better health, building connections with people through a caring heart. That's UHA Health Insurance. Visit uhahealth.com.